Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Rhea. Good morning, everybody. Does anyone in here have a pet? How about a pet that likes to escape the backyard? Anyone else? Yes, I had, Megan and I, we had a pet dog for a while, and I remember when we first got this dog, he just wanted to get out of that yard. No matter what we tried to do, he would find a way to get outside the yard, and then he would just run. I mean, he'd be gone. We'd be chasing him down the street. The neighbors are helping us. We're yelling his name. And we're like, Gunther, come back. And yes, his name was Gunther. And no, we did not name him after the character in Friends. Why would we name him after that guy out of everybody? Um, different, different name we came up with. But he always liked to escape our backyard. So one day I decided I was going to fortify the backyard. That's it. I was going to find every opening, every nook, every cranny, and I was going to fill it so he could not get out of the yard. I started in the back. I had mulch. I had soil. I had rocks. I had everything you needed to try and repair any place in our backyard, any fence, any gate that was broken so he couldn't get out. And I thought I did a pretty good job. Started in the back, I worked my way around, I repaired the locks, the spaces under the fence, any holes in the fence, I repaired it all. And for a while, it was great. He couldn't get out. I and mean, we enjoyed a time of peace because there was no way he could get outside of the backyard. So one day, my wife and I are getting ready for bed, and we decide we need to let our dog out one last time. If you have a pet, you know you like to do this right before bed. We let him outside. We go to get ready for bed, and when we come back into bed, we both realize, oh, we forgot to let the dog in. So we go to the back. I go to the back. I open up the door wall, and he's not there. I'm like, huh, wonder where he is. So I step outside, and it's cold outside, and I'm in my pajamas, and I step outside, and I'm, I'm yelling his name, Gunther, trying to, trying to whisper yell it. You know what, you, you have to do that sometimes. You want to wake all the neighbors up, trying to whisper yell his name. He's not coming. So that's when I go outside, turn the corner, and realize the gate is unlocked and wide open. He's gone. And you see, my dog isn't one of those dogs that just kind of likes to come back home. You know, there's some dogs out there that are kind of obedient, they're a little scared to be out in the world, and they come right back to their, their house, they know where they live. Not my dog, he was dumb. He was just like, gone. He'd follow a scent and boom. He didn't know where he lived, where he was going, he just went. And so I'm like, I, I turn the corner, I'm looking around, it's pitch black outside. I'm trying to find this dog, I'm yelling his name. 
and I like get by my neighbor's yard. I like go in my neighbor's backyard. It's a good thing they didn't have ring cameras back then, like at every house, because I'm like going by every neighbor's yard. I would have been on all of their ring cameras. And I'm looking for this dog, and I can't find him everywhere. So I decide I got to jump on my bike and ride through the neighborhood in 35-degree weather at night to try to find this precious dog that I love and also drives me crazy. So I'm out there. I'm 45 minutes out there. I mean, I'm driving this bike up and down each street, stopping at each house, looking in the backyards, looking all around, whisper calling his name. I do it for 45 minutes, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't find the stop. So I'm thinking, what are we going to do? So I decide to go back to my house to talk to Megan and come up with a game plan. I pull into my driveway, and as I pull into my driveway, this little brown dog out of nowhere comes running right up to me. Yes, it's my dog. And he's like, hey, what are you doing out here? <laughs> oh, I love him, but in that moment... If you have a pet, you know exactly what I mean. So what had happened, I found out later, is these teenagers would hop the back of my fence. So I fortified the fence so you couldn't get out, a little dog, but they hopped the fence in the back. And they would hop my fence to cut through my yard because it would shave probably 10 minutes off their walk to school every day. Because at a school in my yard, in my neighborhood. And so one day I see them doing this. Here they come, four or five teenagers. They hop over my fence, jump right on my landscaping that there's in the back, and they start walking right through my yard, talking, laughing, like nothing's going on. And so I go outside and I say, hey guys. And they looked at me, but they didn't stop walking or really talking to each other. And I said, hey, um, very politely, I don't mind if you hop my fence and come through my yard. I really don't. Uh, but I do have a dog, and last time you guys left the gate open, and you know he got lost. So could you, if you hop the fence, just shut the gate? And they looked at me, kept walking, and then looked back at each other and said nothing. And I said, "Okay, good talk. Thanks. <laughs> I feel very confident moving forward." Then they were gone. So every night after that, one of us, Megan or myself, made sure when we let the dog out, we went outside, turned the corner to make sure the gate was latched and he couldn't get outside. But it's important if you have something that you love and you're protecting that you fortify your backyard and your gate. And don't look now, but we're in a series called Rise and Build. We're talking about Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah chapter 3, which is what I'm talking about today, it's all about how God's chosen people have returned to Jerusalem, the temple is built, and the sacrificial system has been restored, but now it's time to repair the wall, to keep them safe from opposition. You see, everything was in place, people were living in the city, Commerce was happening again. Worship was taking place again. But in order to maintain their safety, they wanted to build and finish, not build, but repair a wall that was already built. 
And so in order to do this, Nehemiah started with the 10 gates that were around the city. You see, that's how the enemy came in the first time. They didn't necessarily go through the brick wall, but they found the gates, the latches, the weak spots in the city. They burned those, and that's how they were able to enter. So I want to show you a picture of what the city of Jerusalem looked like. Here's Jerusalem, and here's the wall and the gates. Okay, there's 10 of them, as you see. So all 10 of these gates were ruined. They were broken and in need of repair. So what in Nehemiah chapter 3, and I'm not going to read through all of this in Nehemiah chapter 3 today. You can look at it uh, this week if you would like to, but I'm going to talk about essentially what's in the book. They start here with the sheep gate, and they repair it. Then they move over here and go counterclockwise to the fish gate. From there they go down to the old gate, repair that, to the valley gate, to the dung gate, to the fountain gate, to the water gate. This was not Nixon's scandal, by the way. This is a lot lot before that. Then up to the horse gate, the east gate, inspection gate, and that's how they repaired this wall. And it took, what I love about this story is it took everybody working together to do this. It wasn't like one crew did this. In fact, they assigned each of these gates to a different group of people who all started working on it. And they went one by one by one by one through it all. And what's interesting to me, as I'm reading this story in Nehemiah 3, I'm like, I got to speak about Nehemiah 3. There's like 10 gates that they repaired. What am I, like, what's the message here? What, what is in this? And what I found was unbelievable. See, this is why I love reading the Old Testament But digging in a little deeper, because if you dig deep and you pay attention, everything in the old points to the new. Everything. Everything is a type of shadow. That's why when you read something you don't understand, you say, how could God do that? Or what was happening here? Think about it. It's foreshadowing the future, the new covenant. What would happen when Christ comes to earth? And so what's interesting is they start here at the Sheep Gate. Now, every one of these gates had significant meeting back in the day. They all had a purpose that I'm going to go through quickly with you this morning. But they also foreshadowed something for New Testament believers, people who were Christ followers or who were going to follow Christ, every one of them has a significant meaning. So what I want to do this morning is I want to quickly go through these 10 gates, and here's what I want us to examine. They each represent something different in our lives, in our spiritual life. And I want us to look and think about this. Which one needs to be repaired in our own life? Which of these gates have we allowed to maybe let the enemy come in to damage that gate? Which one is weak in our life that needs to be repaired? And what I love about this story is they repaired the wall. A lot of people think they rebuilt it, but they repaired it. 
Because nothing that's broken is beyond repair. I don't care how broken you think you are or someone else in your life is, they are not broken beyond repair. And that's what this story shows us. So let's look. The first gate is the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where the sheep would come in. The shepherds would have the sheep outside the city and they would bring the sheep in to prepare them and to wash them to be sacrificed during the sacrificial system that we had back in the day. And what this foreshadows is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended on him and he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the final sacrifice. The sheep gate represents our salvation. The only way we can get to God. You see, they entered right here and see where the temple is? They came in and entered the temple. We get to God. That's where God dwelled, by the way, was in the temple. Now, we entered through Jesus to get to God. It's a foreshadowing. And it's not a mistake on God's part. It's exactly what he wanted us to know. That God, that Jesus is our great shepherd. And Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. He's what makes salvation and redemption possible. Some of us need to repair this wall. And the reason being is, There's a lot going on in our world that wants to tell us there's so many different ways to get to God. You can find him here. You can find him there. But this is what Jesus said. He said, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some some other way is a thief and a robber. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. And it's very easy to question that in our society, in our culture, to wonder if there's other ways, if there's other things that seem true. And sure, there are other philosophies and other things that seem true or have good principles, but Jesus is the only way for salvation and redemption of our sins. That's it. And that's what the sheep gate represents. And some of us have forgotten who we are, what Jesus has done, how much he's redeemed in your life and how much he sets you free of. And it's time to repair that wall and remember that you're free, that you're in Christ, that he's got you, that he's your redeemer. That's the first gate. The second gate is the fish gate. And the fish gate, so they came from here, they went over here to the fish gate. And the fish gate, anyone guess why they call it that? They brought the fish in. 
When they went out to the Sea of Galilee to go fishing, they would bring the fish in through this gate and they would set up a market right here so that people could buy fish. Everything in the city happened in these walls, by the way. I mean, you could go out and travel and people would do things and work outside, but everyone lived and hung out in here. So there was a market there and everything. They would bring the fish into the gate. And why is this significant? What is this a foreshadowing of for us? This is a foreshadowing of us going into the world and making disciples. What did Jesus say to his disciples when he called them? Most of them fishermen, by the way. What did he say? Matthew 4.19, he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We forget sometimes, and it's easy to do, because we all think about ourselves a lot. But we forget that the story isn't all about us. It's not all about me. It's so easy for me to say, God, what about me? What about my life? What about my future? What about my needs? What about my story? But the truth is, it's always been about him. It's always been about God, and he loves us so much, he sent his son to us to include us in this beautiful story of redemption. But it's a call to us, the fish gate, to represent Christ to this world, to remember our mission and our main goal is to not go out and just make a lot of money. It's not to go on fancy vacations. It's not to go and live in big houses and big cities. Those things are great, but our number one mission on this planet is to point people to Christ, to let them know there's a God who loves them and cares about them and is crazy about them. And while he wants relationship with them, that's our call. And, and so first Jesus reaches out to us and then he calls us to go out to others. Do you see the symbolism in this pattern? It's pretty cool, we'll keep going. And I'm gonna go through these quickly, don't worry. The next one's called the old gate, okay? So first we have the sheep gate, then we go to the fish gate, then the old gate. The old gate, it really was, it led to an old part of the city called Salem. So they put a gate there to be able to get to that city easy, or get to that area easier. But what it represents and a foreshadowing of is us letting our old self go. When we come to Christ, the Bible talks all about our old way of thinking, our old nature, the old person's gone, we're a new creation in Christ. It's about letting go. It's about not thinking the way the world thinks. It's about letting go of bitterness and unforgiveness and animosity. It's about letting those negative emotions go and not walking in our old ways, but walking in new patterns of thinking. 
renewing our mind. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing our mind. That's what the old gate represents, letting go of that old nature and walking in the new. Then we kind of come down here to the valley gate. No one likes the valley gate, I'll tell you right now. It led to the lowly Triopian, Triopian Valley. It's called the Triopian Valley that was out here, and so this gate led right to that. But what it represents and is a foreshadowing for us is that as believers, we're gonna go through trials. Life isn't always perfect. Some of you know that right now. Right now, you're walking in a valley. You're walking through something hard. And when you're in the midst of the valley, it's hard sometimes to fight being afraid. To break down the wall of fear, the gate of fear that comes with being in the valley. We start thinking, what's my future gonna look like? Is this my new normal? What's happening? How do I move on from here? I don't want this to be my life now. And you're in the valley. A lot of you find yourself or some family members here and it's created a lot of fear in your life. And you're wondering, is this ever gonna get better? The beautiful thing about the valley is this, Psalm 23 through four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're not alone in the valley. We're not alone. And the valley is a season of time. It's, you don't, you don't, build houses. They didn't, when you go back to this map, you can see that they didn't build houses out here in the valley. No, they walked through the valley to get somewhere else, but they didn't set up shop there. And even though we go through trials and we go through hard things in life that none of us are exempt, there will be a new season coming. Unfortunately, Sometimes when you walk through the valley, it leads you to the next gate, the dung gate. Anyone have any idea what that gate represents? It's the section of the wall where they took the refuse out of the city. That's where they would take all the refuse, trash, everything that was in the city, and they take it out right here of the city. And sometimes it feels like we're being dumped on when we're walking through the valley and it's hard. But what happens when we walk through the valley, a lot of times if we don't turn to Christ, we turn to escape mechanisms We turn to sinful behaviors, we turn to addictions. We turn to things to fill the void or bring comfort into our world or into our life. And that trash begins to build up in our lives. And it begins to create baggage in our life. 
And it's usually not because we just decided one day we want to go out and sin a lot. It's because we're in pain. And we're, we're looking for an escape. And the next thing you know, we get stuck. We sang a beautiful song this morning. And it talked about this. And Hannah even said, there's a moment right now that I, I want to stay in. And I, I sensed it in my spirit because I knew this point was going to come about some of the things that we accumulate in our lives when we choose to live outside of God's ways and not according to his word. And there's no judgment here this morning. We're all human beings. But when we do that, we can accumulate a lot of trash and baggage in our lives. And I really believe it's a call to the church. One of the reasons Pastor Tony started this series, Rise and Build, was to get our passion back, to rise and build the church again. And I believe it's time for the church to go back to living by a higher standard according to God's word. There's some things we've allowed ourselves, some gray areas we have allowed ourselves to dabble in. And don't get me wrong, I know sometimes in church we can be so legalistic and so rule-oriented and so you got to do this and this and this in order to be a Christian. But we may have swung a little too far to the gray side. And we need to understand that this stuff that people are messing with, the stuff that God calls sin in the Bible... It leads to baggage and pain and chains in our life. It's not like he called it sin because he wanted to keep us from it. He called it sin because what he wanted to do is give us the most freeing life possible, the life with the least amount of baggage and chains attached to it. And yes, you're gonna sin in this world, and yes, that's why we have a savior, and yes, we're redeemed, and yes, we're justified when we sin because of Christ. But there's also baggage we can accumulate when we allow ourselves to participate in behaviors that are dangerous and sinful. This is why in Romans 6, 6 through 14, Paul says this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Sin mastered the Old Testament people living in Jerusalem. Time after time after time, sin mastered them. The people around them, the things other cultures around them were doing, influenced them so much that sin became their master instead of God. This was the whole point. And they never could get it right because they were under the law. 
But God comes and he sends Jesus Christ to us and he says, you're no longer under the law, you're under grace. And because you've been saved by grace and nothing you've done on your own, you can be empowered now to rise above the evil desires that war against your soul. Not that you're always going to live perfectly. Of course we sin. Of course we make mistakes. But we don't have to be mastered by sin because of the freedom Christ provided on the cross. And this is what the dung gate represents. It represents baggage that comes from sin and poor choices, but it also represents a freedom that can come through knowing Christ. I'll never forget one time when I was growing up in grade school, I think it was in sixth grade, I was playing football at recess time. Now, I had an older brother who was two years older than me, and so we would fight constantly. We were very competitive with each other. It didn't matter what we were doing, if we were playing like Sega Genesis at the time. Come on, Genesis. A shout out to the 90s. Uh, we were, if we were playing that, if we were playing basketball, it didn't foosball, pool, ping pong, it didn't matter. It ended in a fight. One of us would get mad we lost and then a fight would ensue. So this kind of became natural to me. So I was playing football in the yard with, one, with some of my best friends in the world, and I got tackled harder than I wanted to get tackled by one of my friends, just short of the end zone. So I got up and I punched the kid right in the face, as hard as I could. I mean, I was in sixth grade, it probably didn't hurt that much, let's be honest. But instant shock on his face. And I knew in that moment I did something I could never undo. That our relationship would never be the same again. And I immediately was filled with regret. Immediately. I apologized. I said it was so sorry. And it took months and months and months of a lot of teenage drama and heartache to repair this relationship. But we did. We finally did. And the reason I bring that up is because Jesus died on the cross and rose and gave us a standard of living so that we didn't have to live in constant stress, anxiety, and fear of all the poor choices that we make. He said, if you live this way, you won't have to deal with all the junk that everyone else on the planet who's selfish, who only thinks about themselves all the time, who doesn't care about forgiving people, who doesn't care about bitterness, who doesn't care about trauma, who doesn't care about loving their neighbor, who doesn't care about kindness. They all have to deal with all of these negative emotions and all the junk and all the baggage that comes with this, but you are called to be free Amen. from that. I want you to be free from that, from that guilt, from that shame, from the chains that come from some of that baggage.
That's what the dung gate represents. The next gate we go to is the fountain gate. We're moving around. I don't like that the dung gate and the fountain gate are this close together, to be honest. Wonder if some of the water got contaminated. But the fountain gate, it's where people would cleanse uh, the sacrifices that came in. And they would also cleanse themselves. They're like, they'd come in here, cleanse themselves, and then walk over here to the temple to worship. And it's a foreshadowing of the living water of the Holy Spirit, the fountain of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37 through 39 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This gate that some of us need to repair, myself included at times, is the gate of self-sufficiency, that we are alone in this world, that everything is only up to us and what we're capable of thinking about and what we're capable of controlling. This gate represents the things that are outside of our control that only the Spirit of God by supernatural power can intercede and intervene on our behalf. It's time to live our lives by the Spirit, to re-welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives, to lead us, to guide us, to pray in the Spirit, to understand the role of the Spirit in our lives and welcome them in every single day to lead us and guide us. The next gate we go to is the water gate. And the water gate, it was the main source of water. So what they would do is they'd bring water out from the spring out here. They'd bring it right in through that gate. Water was life. Without water, we do not survive. Water is the source of life. And Jesus compared himself to water. Remember when he was talking to the woman at the well, she asked for water. And Jesus says in John 4, 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal lives. Jesus represents water. Jesus also represents the word of God in our life. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Jesus is the Word of God. He's water. He's our source of life. And this gate represents repairing our doubt in the Word of God. Some people have really begun to doubt the Word of God because they don't understand certain parts of it. Because the culture says, I don't care what that book says, we're gonna do things this way. But the truth is, this is living water to us. 
This is how we get to know God's heart. This is God's letter to us, and in it is life. Do you know that in all my years of pastoring, the people who were closest to God, the people who had the most wisdom in the world, this was a part of their daily life. The word of God flows out of their mouth. It's hidden in their heart. So the Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The people who have the most of the word and the spirit combination, the fountain and the water, the people who have this in their heart the most are the ones that actually go out and make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. They have wisdom, they have prosperous lives because they understand the principles of God. This gate represents us remembering Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Without the word we build up doubt because we read other things, we watch the news, we watch other things, we take our mind off of this and we put it onto this and we forget what's written here. A passion for God's word is important. The next gate is called the horse gate. The horse gate, I like this gate. This gate represents war, warfare. They bring the horses in and out of the city when there was a battle. The men of the town would get on their horses and they'd charge out through the horse gate and you knew battle was about to happen. There was war about to be fought. And what it represents is the spiritual war, what's a foreshadowing of the spiritual war that we battle today. See, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We think it is a lot of times. We think a person is the enemy. A group of people is the enemy. A political party is the enemy. But that's not the enemy. We have a spiritual enemy. And he might be lying to people. And he might be confusing people. And he might be causing a lot of disruption, but let's not forget that's who the enemy is. And the only way we can defeat that enemy is in the spirit realm. On our knees in prayer, calling out to God for him to come, for him to intervene, for his spirit to defeat the enemy of darkness. It's by putting on the full armor of God. I know I could do a 10-part series on all these 10 gates, and that might come someday, but I'm going to keep moving faster through this. The next one's the East Gate. The East Gate is an interesting gate because it faced the Mount of Olives, and it was what it represents to us today is Christ's return. And I want you to hear this for a minute because I found something that was very interesting that I think you guys will like about the East Gate. It represents our hope that one day Jesus is going to return, that he's going to restore the church to order, the earth to order, that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. There's hope we'll see loved ones again. There's hope for a great future, for eternity in the future. We forget that sometimes. Sometimes. 
But that's what this gate represents. In Zechariah 14, 4, it says this, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to the west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and half the mountain moving south. There's a prophecy that when Jesus returns, he steps foot on the Mount of Olives, right here at the east gate. Let's go back to the east gate here. Right here, Jesus is going to step foot. Do you know what's interesting is in 15, the year 1540, during the Holy Wars, the Muslims, they fenced in that area. They boarded up both gates. They fenced in the area and they actually put graves all around it because no Jewish person who's holy and clean can walk on graves. And they did that because of this prophecy to try to prevent the second coming of Jesus. But what they didn't know is they fulfilled another prophecy found in Ezekiel 44 that says this, then the man brought me back to the other gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, the east gate, and guess what, it was shut. It was fenced in. But the Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. It must not be open. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside that gateway to eat in the presence of the Lord. They shut it up, shut down the gate. It's all part of God's plan for Jesus to enter through. He's going to return. We have hope for a great future. The last and final gate is called the inspection gate. It's right here. What's interesting about the inspection gate is that when King David was king, he would sit right there at the inspection gate. And they named it the inspection gate because as all of his warriors would come in from battle, he would inspect them He would make sure they were okay. And he would personally congratulate each of them and thank them for their service. Thank them for risking their lives and being loyal to the God of Israel. He would inspect it. He would say thank you for all the things that you sacrificed for me and for your God. Thank you for not playing it safe and just thinking about your own self and your own family, but putting God first. And it represents a day, the inspection gate, that we will all stand before our God, all of us. None of us get out of this. One day we will stand before a holy God. And I don't know about you, but the only thing that really matters to me right now is for that God to look me in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It was hard down there. You faced a lot of adversity. 
You lived in a country with a ton of distractions, let's be honest. There were a lot of things to pull you away from me. There was a lot of busyness in the world you lived in. But somehow, you chose anyway to get it, dedicate time to my word, to my ways, and to advancing my kingdom. Church, I believe one day when we're standing before God, none of the stuff we did in this life we'll be thinking about. I've had some fun and incredible moments on this earth, but I take it when I'm standing before God, the only thing I want to hear is you did it. You were faithful. You were strong in the face of adversity. You weren't perfect. I saw a few things, come on. We all did. But you were enough. And you were in the game. Church, this whole message in Nehemiah chapter three about these gates is all about our Christian life. What it means to be a Christ follower. It's what they all represent. Every one of them. And what I love about this story is in Nehemiah chapter three, everyone got involved. Everyone. Everyone said, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing and I'm gonna get involved in repairing the gates so that the opposition can't come in and attack us. Church, which gate is it that the enemy's been able to come in and attack? Which gate needs to be fortified in your life? I want us to examine it because if we're not careful, we are going to allow the enemy to come in, to bring opposition, to bring lies, to bring fear, to bring temptation, to bring all kinds of things in our life. And let me tell you, that grass isn't greener. It doesn't produce life. It's not better over there. It's a lie. But God has good in store for us. He has eternity for us. And this life is such a vapor. And I'm going to appeal you today to not only repair your gates, but to get in the game. To remember the last gate the inspection gate and remember that our lives matter for eternity and what we do here matters for eternity. It's an appeal to use, to use the gift and the talent and every single thing God has given you to go after his kingdom. I know soccer practices are real. I know school is real. I know running your kids around everywhere is real. I know stepping in and trying to parent is real. I know all kinds of business is real. But I'm telling you, one day, 
we're going to read, we're going to see what really mattered in this life. And it's the kingdom of God. And it's us, all of us, not me, not Pastor Tony and Pastor Therese and Megan and the rest of the staff, but all of us have a call, have a gifting to get in the game, to do something of significance for the kingdom of God. It's time. It's time we rise and build again. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. I asked the worship team to sing this song stronger again at the end, and the reason being is this. These gates are strong. The enemy's stronger. I mean, the enemy's very strong. But our God is stronger. He's stronger than any weakness we've allowed, any weak gate in this wall. He's able to repair it and help us move forward. So let's sing this song with confidence this morning.